stand if you would for the reading those who are able and uh, we're in Romans chapter 15 this morning Romans chapter 15 
Yeah, sure did enjoy that song this morning. Romans 15. Last Sunday here in January already, and the end of our first series of the year, Together for the Faith, and we've looked at being together in purpose, in life, in worship, and in growth. And today in Romans 15, we're going to talk about being together in ministry. So Romans 15, we'll start our reading in verse number 23 this morning. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father, thank you for this passage this morning. And I pray that in our hearts right now, we would be open to whatever you would have for each of our lives. That you would help us as individuals, as families, as groups, as a local church, to be what you've called us to be and to strive together in ministry for the faith of the gospel. Bless us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. And boy, I love this book of Romans. It is such an amazing epistle. And clearly, all of the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, including the book of Romans. And I have to tell you that the book of Romans is really the foundational doctrinal book of the New Testament. It is filled with verses that have been memorized in numerous languages throughout the centuries. And missionaries all over the world and that maybe don't have the, even the entire scripture in their language yet, usually the first two books that they try to translate and get into the hands of believers uh, is the book of John, which is the story of Jesus and, and how he lived, the gospel of John, and then the book of Romans, which is this doctrinal foundation of our faith. Uh, Hebrews also is a huge doctrinal book, but Romans is the one that explains to us what salvation is and, and why the gospel is so important. And I'll give you the backstory on this book because it's so interesting. And just think about this for a second. Paul was writing in Romans to some believers that he had never met in a city where he had never been. Think about this. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of believers who are having a local church. He'd never met them And he'd never even been to the city. 
And yet he knew that there were ways that they could minister to each other through Christ. I want you to go back with me to some things at the beginning of this powerful book in Romans chapter 1. And let's just notice this as we introduce the message today. Some of the things that he was speaking to them about. So Romans chapter 1, if you get there, now look at this in verse number 1. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And boy, he's giving them this introduction to let them know, I care about you. And I've heard about your faith all through the New Testament region, all the places where I've been. I've heard about the people in Rome and their great faith. Now, why was the faith so great in Rome? And I would just give you a little history on this. The faith was so great in Rome because to be a Christian in Rome, you really had to step up and you had to identify yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ And the moment you did that, they could execute you. The moment that you did that, they could feed you to the lions. They could behead you. They could use your head as a lamppost to light the city. Rome was, at that point in time and in history, the center of Roman persecution of Christians. And and so now Paul's writing to these people, and he's got this message for them. And it's an important message, and we're going to give it today as we go through the message and talking about being together in ministry. And we see four areas that I believe that Paul gave that said, hey, this is one area we need to be together in. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first area is the ministry of comfort. As we stay here in Romans 1, I want you to notice how he speaks this to them in verse number 9. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Look what he says in verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. Now, verse 12, I think, is such a powerful verse. He said, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul is not writing this letter to them as some type of expert or authority. He's writing to them as a brother. He's writing to them and saying there's a mutual faith And we both have some things that we can add to it. There's a comfort and a ministry that we can have together. And so he starts with this passionate statement about his desire to meet them and to experience mutual faith with them, to have spiritual companionship and comfort with them. It's logical to think that a ministry of comfort is something that we should be involved in as Christians. Especially... When you think of one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, right? So if the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, one of the great roles that we have as believers is to be Comforters. 
We are there to comfort each other in our faith, in the mutual faith that God has given to us. And if you go back now to Romans chapter 15, and I want to show you in our text some, some scripture that I think is, is in line with what he had taught the Romans at the beginning of the book. So Romans 15, now verse 23, and we just read this a second ago. He said, and now having no more place in these parts, having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, to be brought on my way thitherward by you. And look at this last phrase. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Now, did you take that phrase, filled with your company. Now you think of people in your life, maybe in the past, maybe in the present, and when you think of that person, you think of the phrase, I am filled by their company. Right? When I'm around that person, my life is filled. I'm comforted. I'm enhanced. I'm encouraged. And then you think of the flip side of that, and you think of people where you say, I am drained by their company. As Paul says, I want to be filled by your company. But when we think sometimes of, of how we interact as believers, and we think of the Christian walk, sometimes we think it's, it drains me to be around certain people. You know what? God has a role of comfort that he wants each of us to play. And we really should consider how we can fill the lives of others, even the ones who drain us a little bit. Ministry is not always this easy task, and, and of course Paul faced this more than anybody else. But there is a ministry of comfort that we have that is part of our faith. And I, I want to make an important distinction about it, though. It, think of we have a ministry of comfort, but we aren't here to make each other comfortable. Okay, We're not here to make each other complacent in our faith. We're not here to excuse each other's complacency. We're not here to excuse each other's bad habits, to, to excuse each other's sins, to put our stamp of approval on people who aren't doing anything for God. We're here to comfort each other and to encourage each other, but not to make the Christian walk comfortable. And I, I fear that in 2016, in American Christianity, that we have kind of fallen or maybe eased our way in to having a season of comfort as Christians. Like there's this comfortable, casual Christianity that, that we see taking place. And I believe it's in the Old Testament, the Minor Prophets, where it says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that are at ease. And it's the, the Christian life... It's not here to be easy for us. Because, think about this, the Christian life's not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about Him. And so when we comfort each other, we're comforting each other in the faith of Jesus Christ. And it's centered around Him. And there's a focus on Him. And so there's a ministry of comfort. The Bible says in another place that we are to stir up each other's faith. Isn't that interesting? To stir up each other's faith. Now you think of that phrase, stir up. 
Okay, just think of it for a minute. What else is something that we stir up in each other? Have you ever stirred up somebody's anger? Right? You ever stir up somebody's curiosity? Do you ever stir up something in somebody, and once you stirred it, you thought, man, I shouldn't have stirred that. Right? Have you ever stirred up a hornet's nest? That's kind of sometimes what we do in our interactions with other people. And the Bible is saying that we're supposed to stir each other up to good works. We're supposed to stir each other up in our faith. And when we hit these snags and these drags of life, we have to be filled with each other's company. That's what he's talking about here. He says, stir each other up. Let's have a company of Christians who are there to comfort each other. And this ministry of comfort should be what believers are known for in their workplaces. It should be what believers are known for in their neighborhoods. Because when we shine the light of comfort, we shine the light of Jesus. If you read the Beatitudes, you know they come right before the passage that Jesus said, you're the light of the world. How did he think that they would be the light of the world? Well, because they were going to act as poor in spirit and as those that mourn and those that comfort and those that are peacemakers and those that are willing to be persecuted. If you read Matthew chapter 5, and I have a sermon series coming up later in the year just on that passage, and I'm excited about it. But Jesus was saying, listen, because of all these traits that you have as believers, you shine as lights to the world. You know, if we don't have any spiritual traits, we have nothing to shine We're hidden as Christians when we don't have spiritual traits. And so there's a comfort of the faith that takes place. But then we see in Romans 15 another area that is so important, and that's the ministry of contribution. So we get down to verse number 25. Let's pick it up again in 25. He said, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. So he lets them know here that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were excited to contribute together to help the struggling saints in Jerusalem. And if you notice that he said it twice, he said that it pleased them to do it, And then he says in the next verse, actually, it pleased them verily, or it pleased them greatly, or it pleased them intensely. And you think about in your life, there are things that please you, and then there are things that please you verily. There are things that really please you, right? So, So think of the distinction here in your life. What are the things that really please you, right? Just think about that for a second in your own life. Because you think, well, I, I kind of like that. I kind of enjoy that. Kind of makes me happy to, to whatever. And, but then there's these things that I just really like. There are things that I really like to do. The things that I really enjoy. The expressions that I really love to be around. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here. He, he says it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. Now, this 
we're trying to put this together as American Christians. You say, it pleased him, that pleased him so much to be in debt. Think of this, right? It pleased him, the thing that makes me so excited is to be in debt. Right? And we're looking at this, whoa, just a second. That doesn't work. That doesn't seem to come together for me. That it pleased them greatly to be in debt. Okay, but we're going to explain what it means. Well, Paul, he used this word debtor. And this is a word that he had used back in chapter 1. And so we've got to go back to chapter 1 again. So go back to chapter 1 now, and I want you to see this. Okay, because he explains to them in verse 13. He says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. He said, I really wanted to come to Rome. I never was able to. That I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He said, I've always wanted to come to Rome. I, I want to minister to you. But now look at verse 14. He said, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So you have to think, well, what made Paul feel like a debtor? And he he knew he was so blessed to have his life changed by Jesus that he felt indebted to everyone that had not experienced the grace that he'd experienced, the grace of the gospel. And in Romans 1, he goes on to say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say, so as much as in me as I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also, I'm indebted because of the gospel. So that word is used in Romans 1. Now pick it back up in Romans 15, where it was used again. So Romans 15, verse Number 27. It had pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. So he uses the same word now to describe the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia, but it's a little different angle. See, the church at Jerusalem was the first church. They had been instrumental in seeing the gospel go beyond their town. They went from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And now the gospel had reached Macedonia and Achaia and even Rome. And through the Spirit's power, this gospel had spread throughout the entire region to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Gentile saints were grateful. They were so grateful that the gospel had been brought to their doorstep that they felt indebted. Now, this is where it seems difficult for many American Christians to embrace. We sometimes, I think, as as American Christians, we portray a little bit of a smugness toward the gospel itself. After all, we have been sending missionaries out for hundreds of years in the United States. And you kind of get this impression that some people think, well, who could we possibly owe? We've tried to help everybody, right? And we talk about this in, in our government affairs, too. Like, we help nations all over the globe. Why don't they start helping us? Right? You ever heard me say that? Right? Why are we giving $50 billion to, you know, Aconcagua, or where, if that's even a country. I don't know if it's a country. But 
We, we have the, this impression that because we've given, that we don't owe anything. And yet, think of it a different way. When we say, how could there possibly be a debt that we feel compelled to pay? We've already given the global evangelization. Aren't other people the ones that owe us a debt? No, see, the debt isn't really to a certain church. And the debt isn't really to a certain people group. And the debt's not to a certain race. The debt, for all of us, goes back to the foot of the cross, where Jesus paid it all for our redemption. And we owed a sin debt that we could never pay. And Jesus just released it. He redeemed us through His own blood. And now, think of it this way. The debt has been transferred from a negative debt, a foreboding debt, a wish-it-would-just-go-away type of debt, to a wonderful, joyous opportunity, an indebtedness that is founded in gratitude for the cross, an indebtedness that guides us to the ministry of contribution. That's what the Bible is talking about here. This ministry of contribution that we get to have together. Let's say you owe a million dollars, which isn't a whole lot these days. The national debt's gone up over $70,000 per household in the past seven years. Anyway, you owe a million dollars. And you're having some intense anxiety and sleepless nights and heartburn and ulcers and the whole nine yards. And somebody shows up and offers to wipe out your debt. Totally pay for your debt. Now, hopefully you receive the offer. And hopefully you'd be thankful for that offer. Hopefully you'd be thankful to the point that when that person said, I want to offer it to everybody. Hopefully your thankfulness would be to the point that you would take that offer and express it to as many people as you could and feel indebted to offer the grace that you had received. And so we see this word debt, we think of it as a negative, but in this context, God's using it as a positive to say there is a debt of the cross, there's a debt of grace that we all owe. And that's what this contribution is about. Because when we take the the little story about the million dollars and we multiply it times infinity, we actually have the gospel. The ministry of contribution should not be a drudgery. It should not be grudgingly, as it says in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, as Donald Trump says. It should not be a ministry of drudgery. It should be a ministry, the Bible says, of joy. And the ministry of contribution is a ministry of joy. It's an overwhelming pleasure. The fact that we get to do it together makes it even better. And uh, that's why we we love, in a couple weeks, love works and and get to do some projects together to contribute and to say, this is the grace of God that's been shown on us, and now we just offer it. And we just love the people of our community. So the ministry of contribution. But then we go even past that. And this is a weird one. The title of it is so strange because it's the ministry of, of carnal things. Now look at verse 27 again. Hopefully you're going to understand. The ministry of carnal things. It says, For if the Gentiles, this is the middle of the verse, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, 
Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Did you see that? Minister them in carnal things. Now, when we hear that word carnal, usually in the New Testament, our mind goes directly toward fleshly or sinful. But in this verse, all it means is something pertaining to the body. Okay, so the ministry of carnal things is simply the ministry of physical needs. We already noticed that Paul used that word debtor. But now look at, there's another word that he uses in that same verse. He said, their duty is also to minister. So there's a debt and there's also a duty that he expresses here. To minister together in physical needs, things for the body. And when we hear the word ministry, I think this might be what most of us think about. The definition of ministry is one that we all know well. This definition, whether we're talking about local churches having a food pantry or giving out clothing, or we're talking about parachurch organizations like Samaritan's Purse or World Vision or Feed the World, or even non-religious charities like United Way or Boys and Girls Clubs. You know, we know that there are many, many organizations that are founded and geared toward meeting physical needs. And yes, physical needs are real, and they're important. But you know, we have to be reminded that the pressing need of a human being is not the primary need of a human being. Our greatest need is Jesus. And it far surpasses any physical issue or deficiency. And so while we should care for and meet physical needs, we should always do it under the mission of proclaiming the gospel to every creature. And that's different in every situation, in every field. And sometimes that mission has to be done with meeting physical needs and making friendships and, and trying to point people toward truth. And sometimes it can be blatant, where we have the freedom to just to go ahead and express that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the only way. And now come and eat some soup. Right? I remember uh, when I was a teenager, one of the first ministries I ever worked in was uh, the city mission in downtown Oklahoma City. And, I, and so uh, I played the trumpet, and so they, they would come and pick me up like at four in the afternoon, uh, like on a Tuesday or whatever, and I would go down, and, and we would host uh, the, the mission crowd. And uh, man, I, I, the first time I went, I was so nervous. I thought, man, those people are going to be watching, and I've got to not miss any notes, and things have got to be just right. I get up there and my legs are shaking. And I look out at the crowd. Well, it wasn't much of a crowd. It was kind of a crowd. Um, there were some people out there. But guess how many of them looked like they wanted to be there? It's kind of like church, actually, um, now that I think about it. It's like, could you just be done so I can eat, right? I get this every Sunday. I mean, actually, the, the city mission work was preparing me for my life vocation. But... Um, but we would uh, sing with them, and, and then sometimes they even got to preach, and, and then we'd go serve a meal. And I just remember um, feeling that I was a part of something unique and something that was really a ministry. And I think the pressing needs of, of the body, they, they kind of relate so well with how we think of charity and how we think of ministry, that these things really 
we don't even have to preach as much about. We should be involved in it. And God says that we should maintain good works and we should stir up good works in each other. But this is what I think that we get. And so let's move on to this final area. I want you to take a look at verse number 28. He says, when therefore I have performed this, he said, I'm going to take the contributions and I'm going to go and I'm going to help meet these carnal needs or these physical needs and have sealed to them this fruit. I will come by you into Spain. Before we move on to this final area, just think of this for a second. I love the phrase he just gave. He said, sealed to them this fruit. And Paul took such great care to make sure that those who had ministered received spiritual fruit from their sacrifice. I, I love it when we have missionaries who we pray for and we love and we financially support. And I love it when they report back and they say, here's what the fruit is. Here's what God's doing. And depending on where they're at, that fruit could be varied, right? In some countries of the world, it could be, you know what? We had 100 people trust Christ at Vacation Bible School. In some countries of the world, it could be, you know what? We got a guy to actually be interested in coming to a Bible study. Because of just how things are in the world, there's some areas where it's so hard to be a light. It's so dark. And, and yet... God works through it all. But I love to hear when, when there's an account and when there's somebody who says, this is what we're trying to do and God's working through us and when it's genuine and it's an authentic thing. Don't, don't you love to hear those reports where people say, boy, this is, this is really what we're trying to do. And it, there's nothing worse than investing in eternity and not hearing anything back on your investment. Right? Now, sometimes we do that, and we have to wait till eternity to find out. But it's really neat when we get to hear. We get to hear, hey, we're really making an attempt to do this this time. And thanks for what you're doing, and, and I, I love to hear back. And it's just what Paul did. I thought it was so neat. But he goes on to say this. I'm sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And so this last part is the ministry of communion with God. You know, the greatest ministry that we can have and that we should have is to strive together in prayer. Paul understood that the most valuable resource that he had on this earth was the prayers of the saints. And without the ministry of prayer, no ministry is going to stand the test of time. And so the greatest ministry we really have as believers is to pray for each other. Now you think about that, right? And sometimes we think, we think of it so differently than God has given it to us. And God has said, you know what? Let's just lay it out there. The greatest ministry we can have for each other is to pray for each other. And maybe if you take that 10 or that 15 or that 20 minutes a day where you're praying and praying for people, that is probably the most powerful thing you do every day. And that's not the way we look at it. We look, well, I've got to get out there. I've got to get busy. I've got something to do. I've got people to see. I've got to really make a difference in the kingdom. And yet, 
when you read the heroes of the faith who said, like Newton, and like Wesley, and like Whitfield, if I do not pray four hours a day, I feel a wicked man. Right? And Wesley said, if I do not rise by 3.30 to begin my prayers, I feel that I have failed in my prayer life. Like, man, I'm feeling a lot of failure in my prayer life after reading that. So we get, why is it that we get fooled into thinking that we can live life without communion with God? How is it that we get failed into thinking, fooled into thinking, that we are helping other people when we're not even praying for other people? I think what God's trying to give us here is this message that says it really starts with this thing of prayer. It really starts with praying for each other. And you say, Pastor, I had good grief. You're going to talk about prayer lists again, and you're going to talk about all these things. And listen, I don't need a prayer list to pray. I just go to God. And that's great for you. But I have to tell you, without some type of a list, I don't remember the names of everybody. And if I don't have something, I have an app called Prayer Prompter. Why? Because I need prompting. Because I don't remember people's names. And, and sometimes I may remember the name of a couple, but I don't remember the name of their kids. And sometimes I remember the field where a missionary's at, but I remember all the names of their family. And I just need to be prompted in prayer. Why? Because prayer is the most important work in the kingdom. It's where we minister together to God, and it benefits us. See, when we pray for, pray for others, it helps us the most. Because our relationship with God is what's valuable and what's important. And I, I can't urge you enough on this thing. Where we just, God lays somebody in our hearts. And we actually pray for that person. And we go with others and we pray. And two or three are gathered in my name. And we, we strive together. It's hard work. Prayer's not easy. But we strive together with God in prayer. That's what this thing is of ministry. And so, yes, there's meeting physical needs, the carnal things. And uh, yes, you have to say there's a contribution that has to be made for ministry, whether it's our efforts or our time or our resources or whatever it's going to be. And uh, yes, you would have to say that, that there are these parts of ministry that we need to embrace as we comfort each other. You know, the most valuable part of our ministry is prayer. It really is. It's communion with God. And if we're missing out on that, we're missing out on the whole thing. And I've just reminded often of the words of Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. And what that really means is without Jesus, we can't even do ministry. And we can pretend we are. Or we can write cards to each other, and we can try to comfort each other, and I'm sure it could be some type of a blessing. But without Jesus, we don't have any spiritual fruit that we're capable of producing. Not any. And so it starts with us going to God for each other, and for our community, for our public servants, and for our missionaries. And it just goes on and on of what God can do through prayer. And so I hope that you'll take that focus this morning and use it in your life and in your family.
And I remember when I was a kid, we had a, we didn't just have personal prayer list, we had a family prayer list. And every time we sat down for dinner, after we ate, we would pull out the family prayer list and we'd switch what everybody prayed for. And, and we just, we, we had to be faithful to do that. And, you know, my dad, um, he was uh, very stable and steady in just saying, we're just going to do this. We're just going to do this. You know what I've noticed in my life? You go into life as a parent, you think, man, it's going to be easy. We're going to raise our children to, to serve and love God. And then, you know, there's a basketball game on Tuesday, and there's you got church on Wednesday, and you got this going on this day. And, you know, you get to the end of a week, and you're like, man, not only did we not pray together, we didn't even eat together. And the last family meal we, we had was down at Burger King. And I think in the 21st century, it takes more attention than ever to actually sit down and to have conversations with our kids and conversations with our kids with God. And for us now, the time that we have found that we can actually do this is when it's Sophie's bedtime. Because it's the only time we kind of we're all together. Maybe all the kids are home by then. And so we don't do it very long, and we need to do better at it. But it's a time where we can actually have a go-to, let's get down together and let's pray. And I think it's so important that we have something that's a go-to time for our families. Where we pray with each other. Because I'm telling you, if we don't pray together with our family, the next generation for sure won't pray with their family. And the things that we focus on now, our kids might focus on. But the things that we don't focus on now, they for sure won't focus on. And so God's given us opportunities. And I think in our hearts today, the, the way that we have to end this message is to say, God, what are the things you want me to do in my life to be better at ministering together? At being together in ministry, whether it's my family or whether it's in my life group, whether it's with some people I know, I got to get together in ministry. One of those things is prayer. Not one of those things, the main thing. And everything else kind of depends on that last one. And so let's end today with a prayer, and I would invite you just to speak to God in your heart about whatever he's laid on you through this message this morning. Father, we come to you today so humbled by what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, if we had to speak authentically, we would tell you that we are debtors of your grace. We owe spreading the gospel to every creature. That we owe offering grace to our neighbors, and to our co-workers, and to our friends. And there's so many ways that we can minister together. But it really starts with this ministry of prayer. And so I pray that we would take this ministry of coming to you seriously. That we would build a foundation in our lives 
of coming to you. Pray that you would help us to do better at praying together. Guide us in our lives. Bless us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out today, could I encourage you about some things? Uh, yeah, there's t-shirts out there and, and all that stuff, but don't miss 